It's now on the TFG set to reflect on all the meaningful departures, including his own, is the now perpetually unbeaten Andre Ward. Welcome again, Andre. Thank you. Uh, give me your reflections on all of these retirements, and we'll start with the heavyweight king, Vladimir Klitschko. What are your thoughts on him? I think Vladimir has done a tremendous job inside the ring, obviously, but also outside the ring. You know, he did it the right way. Uh, he and his brother Vidali, they took their careers into their own hands. Um, they won championships, they built legacies, and they made a lot of money. And now that he's retired, um, you know, he got a lot of flack for the way he fought, but I don't think his family's complaining now that he's, he's whole, uh, he has his wits about him, and he can move on to the next chapter of his life. So kudos to uh, uh, Vladimir. He did a tremendous job. I assume you know Tim Bradley. As a person, he's a prince. As a fighter, did he overachieve? I think he did, and I think if, if you know Tim Bradley, Tim Bradley has always overachieved. That's just who he is. His heart, his determination, his grit has always been bigger than his skill or any one thing that, that jumps out across the television. I mean, Tim Bradley fought my brother in the amateurs. He beat my brother. Um, I avenged the loss. He and I fought when we were 14 or 13, 14 years old at 147 pounds. Um, and it was the hardest fight of my life. And again, I was more skillful. I had more tools, but he had the grit and determination. So um, again, he's another one that did everything right inside and outside the ring, whether win or lose, he gave it all he had. He and his wife are, are, are doing a great job in terms of you know, their investments and, and, and just opening up businesses in Palm Springs. I mean, I'm just so proud of him. And um, you know, again, he, he did it the right way. It's impossible to reflect on Juan Manuel Marquez without thinking of his contemporaries, Eric Morales and Marco Antonio Barrera. Ultimately, he fought the longest and he made the most money. Was he the most significant of the three? It's tough to say. I mean, for me, growing up watching these guys, like, it, it's tough for me to pick one. Um, he obviously lasted longer, but when you look at the other two, they fought as long as they could fight. Uh, they were great ambassadors for the sport, great ambassadors for Mexico. Um, and again, their legacies are cemented, and, and they're guys that you, you, you have nothing but respect for, and their names are in the history books for life. It's impossible for me to think, I confess, about the importance of Miguel Cotto without reflecting on what I feel was the injustice that he suffered at the hands of Antonio Margarito. Do you think that we have a complete and, and clear picture of how good Miguel Cotto was? It's tough to say from a physical standpoint. I don't know what he left in that ring in the first Margarito fight. Only he can say. Um, but I will say this. What happened to him, you know, it's something that, that bothers me to this day. Um, the sport of boxing is hard enough when you do it the right way and you have two combatants who have everything to gain and everything to lose when they face each other. Uh, and a loss in our sport can set you uh, back tremendously, financially and career-wise. Um, but I think if you look at their careers post the first fight, uh, Cotto went on to win championships. Uh, Cotto's name is, is, is obviously etched in the sport of boxing for life, and he has a good name. And he went out his way. Even though he lost, he went out on his terms. Um, and he, he went out like he always has, with class and dignity. And you can't say the same for Antonio Margarito. And Andre, of course, of all the fighters who are retiring, you are arguably the most illustrious of them all. Any second thoughts? I don't think there's second thoughts, but I will tell you this. Uh, retirement is a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, you know, I've, I've read about, you know, athletes retiring, fighters retiring. Um, I've heard about it. Uh, I've studied it. Uh, kind of, you know, what's the right time and, and those kind of things. But um, there's a detox that has to take place. You know, I've, I've been doing this 23 years straight, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Uh, and it's a process. Um, but it's a process that, 
you know, I felt like I had to undertake. Uh, I'm up for the challenge, and I just hope to be someone that the younger fighters can point to and say he did it the right way because we don't have a lot of examples in the sport of boxing. That was all very illuminating. Thank you, Andre. Thank you. We mentioned at the top of the program that Manny Pacquiao's one ring appearance of the year, a somewhat controversial decision loss to a little-known Australian welterweight named Jeff Horn, was the initial step in a sudden business development which may broaden boxing's relationship to the audience. The global telecast of that fight was the first exposure in a complicated deal between Pacquiao's promoter and ESPN, which will see the cable sports monolith broadcasting much more prestigious fights and fighters than has been the case in the past, and presumably covering the sport at large much more generously and extensively as well. This isn't like PBC, where commercial television exposure of fights was facilitated by time buys and the pressure was on the promoter to make the monetary equation work. This is a relationship in which the network is paying license fees and the money flow will rise or fall according to ratings, along with global partnerships and the ability of consumers to access the content via handheld devices. It is potentially the most significant new development in boxing television in more than 30 years. Throughout the year, we keep you up to date on the TFG Pound for Pound Top 5. Here on the year-end edition, we stretch it out to the top 10. And here they are. Number 10 is welterweight Keith Thurman, still unbeaten, but he has suffered from injury and inactivity. Only three fights in the past two years, and the upcoming rematch with Sean Porter isn't the fight the public is aching to see. More on that in a moment. Number nine is the Japanese 115-pound star Naoya Inoue. The monster finally made his American debut in September, and he was everything he had been cracked up to be in a six-round rout of American Antonio Nieves. He has another title defense back home in Japan against an underdog French challenger on December 30. Number eight is Mikey Garcia. At 140 pounds in July, he thoroughly dominated Adrian Broner in an easy unanimous decision win. At 135 pounds, he'd be favored in a title unification bout against Venezuela's Jorge Linares, but so far he's turned that fight down. He even flirted with the idea of jumping to 154 to fight Miguel Cotto. And given that Cotto lost to a smaller man, he may now be wishing he had done exactly that. Number seven is Errol Spence. But how frustrating is it waiting for this spot to boil? Like Keith Thurman, he's had three fights in two years. We're all waiting to hear when they are going to fight each other. It's one of the most obvious matchups available. Instead, he'll be a big favorite over Lamont Peterson in January. Number six is Sergei Kovalev. He wasted no time on November 25, making clear his career didn't end with the two disappointments against Andre Ward. The crusher who crushed Slava Shabransky in two rounds of mayhem was the same crusher we had seen before Ward, maybe even more efficient. Now he looks ahead in a landmine division, hoping to climb this list again. Number five is Anthony Joshua. It's unusual to rank a heavyweight of his limited experience and supposed technical flaws this highly. But whatever shortcomings he might have, he makes up for with awesome power and unflappable poise. We think he's a historic figure, and we want to make a point of saying so first. Number four is Canelo Alvarez. Most fighters who rank this high had extensive amateur careers. The redhead turned professional at age 15, so when he fought Gennady Golovkin in September, he was eight years younger, but already looking for the 50th win of his career. That explains the technical sophistication that helped him beat Austin Trout and Eris Landy Lara en route to the draw that will lead to a rematch. Number three is Triple G. At 35, he may be flirting with the ravages of time, 
but he still had enough juice to be seen as the real winner over Canelo by the majority of fans and media. But he accomplished that with his jab and his boxing skills, not with the stunning power that had previously been his trademark. Which fighter will he be in the rematch? Number two is Terence Crawford, a throwback to many of the cultural identifiers of the traditional American boxing star, a disadvantaged ghetto product of the Midwestern River City, like Floyd Mayweather, like Aaron Pryor, like the Sphinx Brothers, like Ezard Charles. Crawford has made it to the top on a lethal combination of skill and swagger. Having conquered all worlds at 140 pounds, he now moves to the more glamorous neighborhood of the welterweights. And back up to number one is Vasily Lomachenko, having now obliterated the myth of Guillermo Rigondi out to prove he is the premier technician in boxing. Lomachenko considers whether to vacate the junior lightweight class and move up to lightweight. The search is on for an opponent who won't quit on his stool, but they are apparently difficult to find. Still to come, we hand out our annual year-end awards, including Knockout of the Year, Fight of the Year, and Person of the Year. And Max Kellerman joins me with his own thoughts on the annual superlatives and gives his take on what the future holds for Anthony Joshua. And that brings us to the annual awards segment, the chance to pay credit where it is due to performers who, in the heat of human combat, excelled at their jobs this year. When you want to win an Academy Award, you wait until late in the year to release the movie. But it was inescapable as we watched David Lemieux and Curtis Stevens climb into the ring at Turning Stone Casino the night of March 11 that we were in for a violent knockout. That's what both middleweights are all about. And Lemieux immediately set the tone in an electric first round, throwing a career-high 117 punches and landing 37 power shots. Then in round three, the French-Canadian slugger turned out Stevens' lights with an explosive left hook, bringing an immediate stoppage and giving Lemieux a credential that stood up as the knockout of the year. This year's biggest fight between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez wound up yielding a draw. But after nine rounds, Triple G appeared to most at ringside to be headed toward a clear decision victory. That was the moment when Canelo's trainer, Eddie Reynoso, delivered the year's most important ring address, an honest plea to his fighter. 10, 11, 12, these are for your life. Three perfect rounds, son. Speed, move them, defense, stop them with your left, and don't stand the ropes. In the last three rounds, the fighter responded to pull out the draw and also to stamp Eddie Reynoso, architect of Canelo's counterpunching skill, as the TFG Emmanuel Stewart Trainer of the Year. The most technically pure boxer in the sport had an immaculate year. First, in April, Vasily Lomachenko made a confused Jason Sosa's corner call at quits after nine rounds, the second opponent in a row to opt out of further embarrassment. In August, Miguel Mariaga chose the same path. And in December, Lomachenko decisively put to rest the belief of some that Guillermo Rigondiao was an equally profound talent. So for the first time, and most likely not the last, Vasily Lomachenko is the TFG Fighter of the Year. The fight of the year is undisputed. Anyone who follows the sport will choose it. April 29 in London's historic Wembley Stadium, with a historic crowd of 90,000 people surrounding the pitch, and Vladimir Klitschko in the ring to risk his historic record against Britain's rising superstar, the colossal Anthony Joshua. The first four rounds were crackling, back and forth, and back and forth. And then, in the fifth, a burst of Joshua thunder, and the old line was down, but not to stay. In the sixth round, Klitschko landed his signature right hand as he has seldom landed it in recent years. And for a few seconds, it appeared Joshua was done. But the young lion got up, 
And though he showed severe damage for the next few rounds, he kept circling and searching for another chance to strike back. And in the 11th, it arrived as a series of hooks and crosses by Joshua produced two knockdowns, eventually a stoppage, and a roar that must have been heard in Scotland and Wales. From April 29 on, there was never a doubt. Joshua versus Klitschko was the TFG fight of the year. Later in the year, Joshua traveled to Wales to stage a title defense against a substitute opponent in an indoor stadium in Cardiff. When tickets went on sale, 70,000 of them sold in a matter of hours. On the night of the fight, there were nearly 80,000 spectators in the arena, the largest crowd ever to see a prize fight indoors. They weren't there to see Carlos Takan. For individually reinventing heavyweight boxing's live drama appeal, and for projecting a complex and fascinating personality both in and out of the ring, Anthony Oluwafemi Olusini Joshua is by far the TFG Person of the Year. Now HBO boxing analyst Max Kellerman joins us to finish off the year with his own perspectives. Happy holidays, Max. How Happy about holidays. Andre Ward, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. How could you say they weren't there to see Takam, Jim? I find that surprising. <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, yeah, Andre, you said, was illuminating earlier, and uh, I totally agree. And the most illuminating thing that he said was that he's taking on the challenge of retirement. You know, the way he was talking about how tough retirement was made me think he, he might fight again. He looks like a guy who wants to fight again. Until he said that. Andre Ward has achieved what he's achieved in his life by taking on fight after fight. He fights the good fight, you know, from a very difficult childhood. Both parents drug addicts, uh, essentially homeless practically by the time he's 14, something like that. Um, an amateur career where he has to fight everyone in the world, right? Turns pro not the fastest, not the hardest hitting, somehow all he does is win, fight after fight, takes on a promoter where it looks like he's going to take a loss but finally does break away. He sees his life, I think, and all his challenges as fights that he has to prepare for and win, and I that's what, how he's treating his retirement, and it makes me think, actually, he won't come back. You heard my superlatives for the year. Any with which you differ? I love your trainer of the year, the reason you gave Eddie Reynoso trainer of the year, because in the moment of truth, he delivered that message. Let me make a semantic argument. That would make him corner man of the year, I think. And I know a trainer does both. A trainer gets you ready in the gym. That's where most of the work is done. And then the, the cornering, the corner manning is, is different. That's about motivation, saying the right thing at the right time. And I could see giving Reynoso trainer of the year for that. But Anatoly Lomachenko, Vasily's father, has trained him the entire time, his entire life. And Lomachenko has been untouchable this year. The training, in other words, what he's getting in the ring and reenacting, essentially, which are the motions you go through in training, separate him from everyone else. And for that reason, I'd say Anatoly. And along those lines, you could also say Virgil Hunter, because, again, the training of Andre Ward showed up in the ring in a way that other than Lomachenko, no one showed up. So are Anatoly Lomachenko and his son literally inventing a new craft set for the sport? It is unique to, to, to um, uh, uh, Vasily Lomachenko. And so you could say yes, except it does require enormous physical gifts. You know, unlike Roy Jones or who was, you know, the best ever at that stuff, or Hector Camacho or some great athletic fast fighter who develops a style around the gift. So when the gifts, when they lose a half step, they're not nearly as good anymore because they relied on that superhuman speed, right? 
the Lomachenkos have developed something here that doesn't necessarily rely on the speed. There is technical craft there, but boy, the speed makes it unfair. And I'm just not sure that a normal fighter can do the things that Vasily does. They are spectacular, and they certainly complement his talent, and I suspect they'll even age well, but I'm not sure that just any fighter can be taught to do the things that Vasily does. I chose Joshua Klitschko as the fight of the year. I know you've basically agreed with that ever since April 29. Now let me reach a little bit here. Is it, at this moment, the fight of the 21st century? You could easily make that argument because it's the heavyweight championship of the world. And it had never before been exchanged that way. Oh, Vladimir had already lost to Tyson Fury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Tyson Fury kind of went away. It was a stinking fight. I guess kind of the title changed hands technically, right? The lineal title. But in a larger emotional sense, Vladimir Klitschko was the heavyweight champion of the last era. And he was coming up against the new era. And they're both 6'6", 250, and they're both Olympic gold medalists. And they both hit the deck and got up until the old man couldn't continue. I mean, like, that had never really happened in boxing history like that. 90,000 people, the whole thing. In North America, maybe we didn't experience it the same way because it, he's not from here and it didn't take place here. You could easily make the argument that, given everything it is, but when you say the fight of the 21st century, we're also thinking about the pure action. So, like, when we think of, you know, Gaddy Ward, or in the previous century, prior Arguello or something like that, or the thrill in Manila. The fight so far to me is Corrales-Castillo won. That was the special action fight, but the magnitude clearly can't compare with Joshua and Klitschko. And I chose Anthony Joshua as the person of the year in boxing. I think his impact is immense. What's his future? Well, he's the biggest star in boxing and one of the biggest stars in sport worldwide. And when he hits in this country, which is likely a matter of time, um, it's going to be really, really something to see. This guy not only is the goods, he has the goods, um, and maybe even the greats, which is even better, but he's big, he looks good, he's personable, he's charming, he gets it, he knows why people pay their money, he's interested in being great, and he's a heavyweight. By the way, he's not going to be undefeated forever either. His in the ways that he's vulnerable, it will also be interesting. He's going to be an enormous star for, I think, quite some time. Muhammad Ali wasn't undefeated either, but his losses were as meaningful as his wins. Right. Thanks very much, Max. And thank you all for being with us on this special year-end edition of The Fight Game. Happy holidays, and we'll see you in 2018. Next on HBO, stay tuned for night two of Boxing's Best, which delivers a